Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Pod and the Pendulum, the show that covers horror movie franchises, one movie in one episode at a time. We are here this week for the first of our monster rallies, where Frankenstein's monster will be teaming up with one of the legends of the Universal Studios classic horror lineup. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, and as always, I'm never going it alone. This week, I have a pair of co-hosts joining me for what's sure to be a knockdown, drag-out, slobber-knocker of a battle here. And it is ironic we are recording this on Royal Rumble night. I don't know because, what that means, like, but hell yeah. God damn it, Steven. Can you get with the culture? <laughs> no. Can you, can you just like, you know, it's, you know, when 30 men enter, only one man can leave. Oh. It's like Highlander, but with tights and it's scripted. Okay. The Thunderdome. Not scripted. All right. Two well, men go in. One man comes out. Yes. Well, you've you've heard their voices. You hear them right now. Joining us again from the disenfranchised podcast. Try that again. Joining us again from the disenfranchised podcast. A man who is pure at heart and says his prayers by night, but becomes a wolf when the wolf bane blooms. Mister Stephen Chewy Walrus. Faro la, faro lee, Mike. Doing doing well. Glad to be here. Uh, thrilled to talk about these two totemic titans of terror going toe-to-toe this week. Excellent. Glad to have you on, my man. Always glad to be here. And also with us, as he has been for every Frankenstein movie. I don't know that he knew he didn't have to be on. I didn't like say he didn't have to. I'm like, I hope he comes on for everyone. Well, I hope he does. And now that he does, nah, I shouldn't have said that. So I'm going to cut that part Brian's out. Brian's like, I have a choice. Care. What? What? Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you know, I just, you know, because the shows are always optional, but I like wanted you on for every single. Well, I wanted to like be on for every episode. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Good. come on. Well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, I just, you know, I just feel bad sometimes. <laughs> because I'm, like, I'm picking up your Saturday, you know, like, like, you know, it's like you're like, it's IHOP. Night, it's, you know? It is IHOP like, night. Like, yeah. Oh, no. IHOP and Big Lebowski and, tonight. But hey, there's a oh, there's a tutti oh. fruity, fresh and fruity waiting for you at the end of this, Mike. <laughs> now, or Brian. Sorry. Are you in your fam? Like there's a, I think one of the there's a movie critic who's like doing every every uh item on the wonka menu for are you guys doing that tonight like in one night ordering every yikes uh no we're no but hey it's 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 a good night it's cheat meal night you know and Mm -hmm. it's i love and and i i don't have ihop very often it's been a while so that's what my daughter chose for her birthday so happy birthday and um thank god (laughs) and Good like, choice. If she had chosen a vegan restaurant, would you she even, would like choose not again? Have chosen a vegan restaurant, but if she did, <laughs> would you be like choose again? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I hop, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But well, that is the voice of Mister Brian Kuyper from Bloody Disgusting, Manor Vellum, uh, and the Movies for Life Pod, our classic cinema guru. Well, I got to say, Stephen is quite the classic cinema guru as well so i i love uh going toe to toe with you and i hey if you're the wolf man i'm wearing my frankenstein shirt you know me love dead hate living fight you i don't know i couldn't i mean think look of a, i just i couldn't I, think of I'm another good line to, from i'm just monster. trying to die that's all i'm trying to do that's, here. that's all you're doing the whole movie <laughs> all yeah, i'm trying to true. do is die yeah 
That's right. So we are here to talk Frankenstein meets the Wolfman tonight. And we've all been on uh, for some Frankenstein episodes so far. So we've kind of given our general overview of like how much we love Frankenstein and the Universal Monsters in particular. So I think we're going to dive like right into the background. Yeah. Right? Before that, so. though, I got to say this was sort of a holy grail for me to see for a while. I mean, it's like I love mm-hmm. Frankenstein. I love the Wolfman. Saw a trailer of them fighting in this movie and i was like i gotta see that you know Mm, yeah and when i saw it it was kind of disappointing how little they fought but this movie over promises and under delivers on that fight boy howdy well but there's a lot of good stuff leading up to it though it's frankenstein meets the wolfman not frankenstein Frankenstein versus the wolfman so that's true it's not frankenstein versus it's not frankenstein fights it's they meet and they do meet they do. they do. And they're kind of on the same side for a while. Yeah. It kind of gives you exactly what it promises. I don't see how it under promises. They meet, oh, you know. they shake hands, they yeah. hang they out for like, a while. They go on carriage rides together. Yeah, they drop they, a bunch of empty barrels out of the back of it. They go dancing in the town square to that song. Faro la faro Yeah. I mean, that's that's why we had to cut all that car or that all that uh, Lugosi stuff is because we had yeah. to make room for that five minute long musical number. Boy, howdy. This is why we go for three. <laughs> but we digress. OK, background, okay. background. <laughs> so. All right. Talking a little bit about how the sausage gets made for this one. We talked a little bit before about how by this point, Universal has kind of been like churning out the monster movies mode like they're kind of starting to make them for kids they're kind of quickies or kind of cheapies and they've rung frankenstein for all that it's worth at this point as far as a solo creature so now it's going to be like team up movies and that's what you're going to get for the back half here and really like for the back half of the frankenstein movies we talk about the monster is going to be like way in the background. Yeah. They're barely Frankenstein movies at all. Right. Yep. So our film's writer learns the hard way. Like you do not make jokes around studio executives because you might get roped into taking a job you don't really want. Coming off the success of writing the Wolfman, uh, Kurt Sidemack was having lunch with that film's producer, George Wagner, when he commented, you know, why don't we make it? And I think, Brian, you made this joke last time. Uh, I think it was Andrew who Andrew filled oh, us in on right. this one. Uh, this was actually something I wasn't aware of, so this was oh, okay. pretty exciting new new information to learn. So was why do we make Frankenstein wolf's the meat man, or Frankenstein meets the wolf man? And George did not laugh at that suggestion. George, being a producer. Mm-hmm. Started the count box office receipts and saw dollar head. signs in his eyes. Yeah. yeah, he's like, if Frankenstein made a million dollars and the Wolfman made a million dollars, I put two of them together. That's wouldn't that make two, two million, million dollars? dollars? Sort of like hmm. if uh, less is more, just imagine how much more more would be. Exactly. Uh, that's sort of the moment that happens here, you know. And George Wagner and Kurt Siodmak are really like. They're the power players. They're the names that pop up over and over and over again in this resurrected, you know, I guess the universal monster renaissance of the 40s. And um, so you're going to see them all the way through uh, sort of the, this era um, just 
everywhere. Um, Siad Mack just shot to prominence with the Wolfman. He created so much of that mythos that we mythos mythos that we um think of with werewolves now i mean that all started there he just made it up it wasn't like oh this is ancient legend or something like that it was very much his doing and that's why you have like like uh werewolf in london which is a cool movie um is not really like that werewolf stuff that we think of at all and so it's such a different movie um but um the wolfman is creates that genre as it still exists yeah. today. And then George Wagner um, directed that movie, of course, and then was made into mostly producer for the rest of this run. So it's um, a yeah. big names that are joining together for this film. I love, like, and I don't know when we also, we would talk about this. Kurt had a, a long running, feud with his brother robert mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. uh was a director like they were uh who was a director who um steven you and i talked about his film the killers right. one of the greatest film that's a great of film yeah. mm-hmm. so fucking where, good yeah. yeah where robert refused to work with kurt and <laughs> uh when kurt wrote the first draft of son of dracula and suggested his brother robert to direct it the first thing robert did when he was hired was like threw out Kurt's script and had him tossed off the picture. Oh shit. And like, they never worked together. Like wow. for the, till the day that he died, like long running, like absolutely like would not work with him. Wow. And it wasn't like they didn't get along. Otherwise it was like, just like a sibling rivalry thing mm-hmm. where he's like, Nope, can't work together. Like always tried to one up one another. Oh, wow. uh, so I found that fascinating. That is fascinating. That is crazy. crazy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know when we, because I don't know if we're ever going to do the Dracula pictures. Um, I don't know if we, we'd ever get to kind of mention that. We'll, we'll see. Who knows? Look, if the fans demand coming it, we'll in 20, do it. Coming in 2029. Yeah, you know, the, so, yeah I, I'd pick The Invisible so, Man before, <laughs> as a series, oh, yeah. before Dracula yeah. as a series. Or The Wolfman, for that matter. Well, yeah. we're kind of covering half of the we're, we're covering we most of the wolfman series here All except for the original right yeah, except for werewolf are. of london the original and she wolf of london uh all the she others wolf of are... london does not count i'm sorry <laughs> it's in the yeah. set it's in the set it is i it <laughs> yeah. is but i maintain it does not count <laughs> i've actually haven't gotten to that one ever oh well when you do you'll understand why i don't oh, count it fair enough all right so seed mac want basically he wanted to buy a new car and he needed a writing story. job. Yeah. So like so yeah, every day on uh, at the uh, commissary, Wagner's like has this chip to cash. And every day Wagner's like, you buy the car yet? And finally, when when Kurt says, yep, I bought the car, Wagner congratulates him and says, you have two hours to accept the job of writing Frankenstein woofs the meat. <laughs> so basically, that's how Kurt gets roped into yeah. Uh, sorry, that's how yeah, Kurt gets roped into like taking this writing job because after the Wolfman makes like nearly a million dollars at the box office in 41, it's a foregone conclusion that there's, there's going to be more chapters in that saga, especially after like Universal wants to turn Cheney Jr. into their new Karloff. Cheney goes on this run where he plays the Wolfman, he plays Frankenstein's monster, he plays the mummy, he plays Dracula. So he plays, if he played the Invisible Man, he would have had a royal flush mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. 
the heavy hitters yeah. at that point, yep, right? Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's got the four big boys. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the only reason he he wouldn't have done the Invisible Man is because it just was, a, I think, a voice thing because the voice is so important. So who do you hire for that? You hire Vincent Price, you know, right. for example, to play that role. Um, right. Where I think uh, if it was something that required a lot of prosthetics, you could probably get Cheney in there in a heartbeat and yeah. he, would, he would do it no problem. But Invisible Man is kind of antithetical to all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So – Here's my question for you guys, because you're much more well-versed in this than me. So Universal's like they're teaming up, and they're really they're watering down the horror roster at this mm-hmm. point, and the movies are getting geared more to kids. But what else is going on in genre pictures? Because while, while Universal is doing this, other companies are filling the void that's left for the adults yeah. that want to watch something that's a bit more mature, uh, maybe a bit more scary, maybe a little bit more psychological like what's going on with the likes of like val luton in rko in the 40s well 42 um rko releases cat people which is essentially kind of like hey universal has the wolf man right let's do something about it you know an animal thing and so val luton comes up with this ingenious idea of okay let's have this movie about a woman who at least believes that she turns into a cat. You never see a transformation. You never see um, concrete proof that she turns into a cat. Um, instead, it's all psychological. It's all very um, suggestive. Everything happens in the dark. Uh, scariest scene in that movie well, there are two. There's the pool scene, the famous pool scene where he's in the shadows and then. Um, then the street f- being followed in the street. Uh, there, those are the big famous scenes. So anyway, that's a pretty big success for RKO. They follow it up uh, with three movies. They make actually they actually make four, and three of them are released. They release "I Walk with a Zombie," "The Leopard Man," and "The Seventh Victim," all in 1943. Mm-hmm. And then they made "Ghost Ship," but it wasn't released. Okay, it was mm. buried. If I remember right, I think Val Luton pissed someone off and they said, fine, we're, <laughs> we're not going to usually how that works. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, they brought him back. So, I mean, they were, so that, those are the, that's sort of like the, um, I guess the quote unquote, I, I know everyone hates this term, but elevated horror of the period. That's the horror for adults. That's and part of, out. sorry. No, go on. Part of the reason I think that is so successful is because if you look at the world writ large, World War II has just started. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, adult men wearing tons of makeup fighting each other is just not as scary yeah. as, you know, some of the stuff that Luton and RKO are doing. And so that becomes kind of the next wave of horror. And the Universal Monster movies become kind of a passe thing as a result. Well, and the thing is, Luton is essentially making horror movies that are noir films. Right. Which is one of the things that, one of the reasons why they still work so well, I think, too. Um, mm-hmm. Because noir is um, kind of always works. Something about it always works. And I think having, and it's just sort of naturally works with horror. And mm-hmm. um, it's really effective. Those movies are, I, all of them at least have 
something to latch on to. And most of them, I mean, I think the seventh victim is like a legitimate masterpiece. Um, that, that movie is, it's sort of, it's sort of buried. It's, uh, it's only got an out of print DVD, unfortunately. Um, oh, it's, it's one of the only, it's that. And I walked with a zombie are are kind of out in the ether somewhere. They've, they're the only ones that haven't been released on Blu-ray. Um, but let's see here. Uh, however, Universal isn't just doing monster movies. They're also doing um, like they do like the Tower of London, which is essentially Richard the Third with a horror spin on it, <laughs> um, which mm-hmm. is kind of crazy. Um, they do a, some Poe adaptations. Um, and then over at Columbia, Karloff is making movies with Columbia that are, I don't know, they're kind of in the mushy middle. They're not quite kid movies but they're not quite adult there's something um they're mad doctor movies mostly uh before i hang um there's a lot of hanging the man they could not hang was another title um i've seen all of these but then you also have the rise of the poverty rose studios like monogram Mm -hmm. is releasing they're releasing schlock i mean this is this is william castle before william castle and roger corman before roger corman Exactly. Um, yeah. So Bella Lugosi's making a lot of those movies. Uh, he's making the ape man and return of the vampire where he's essentially playing Dracula again. Um, ape man, another Wolfman ripoff. Absolutely. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then you have horror comedies really becoming a thing this at around this time too. Um, this is, uh, even b- before they meet Frankenstein, you know, there's like a ghost movie with Abbott and Costello, uh, all kinds of things like that. But um, yeah, that's sort of sort of what's going on. So, I mean, there's stuff that's sort of running the gamut between, you know, just like now, frankly, you know, there you have your schlock that's going straight to Tubi or whatever, you know, no offense to Tubi. And then all the way up to, you know, your A24, you know, um, ultra cerebral slow burn stuff, you know? I mean, so you've kind of got everything going on at this time. But one of the things that is true is basically all of it is low budget, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're making for the majors or for the minors. So, everything was made on a shoestring. So really not much has changed. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In 80 years, we are still in that same boat. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about those like poverty row pictures, Mm -hmm. like I know you mentioned Corman, but the thing about Corman is like folks like Dante and James Cameron would come out of that camp. Like they would get their start working with him. You know, Jack Nicholson got his start. working. Absolutely. Corman pictures yeah. like so many Martin Scorsese got his start. Yeah, so sorry. Yeah. Steven Spielberg, yeah. Well, did anyone did anyone get their, you know, come out of poverty row and go on to have like more <laughs> illustrious careers or are these all kind of like Jack Smithy type of like anonymous quickie Yeah, embarrassment. Like I heard like, you know, Lugosi would like kind of like appear in these pictures and it would be like an embarrassment for him to have to like debase himself to appear in pictures yeah. like these. It was it was the 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 studio to poverty row pipeline was usually one way. 
Yeah. I say mm-hmm. usually because there are odd stories like Orson Welles did go back to studio filmmaking after he made a couple of pictures for Poverty Row, mm-hmm. but he was Orson Welles. He was Orson Welles. Uh, Right. Typically it didn't work that way. And it was kind of akin to like the movie to TV pipeline in the eighties. Like there were film actors and there were TV actors. And if you were a a film actor that debased themselves to go on TV, there was very little chance that you were going to go back. Um, And that that's kind of what poverty row was around this time. It was the, it was what you had to do to basically make a quick buck. And that's Mm -hmm. about all it was, was a quick buck. Yeah, I mean, Ed Wood is uh, sort of the poster child for Poverty Row Pictures, and he's kind of the only one we really remember, right? And he was even a little later. He was the 50s, but um, Mm -hmm. this was, um, yeah, you didn't get a lot of people getting their start and going into the majors from here. So, yeah. So moving on from there, then like Roy William Neal, he's tapped to direct kind of a workman like director, did some horror, a lot of Westerns. I would say workman like not known for necessarily having a real style. But when you look at him here, he kind of does tap into and we'll talk about it when we talk about the movie. He does a really nice job tapping into what made those early Frankenstein movies work well like it does feel much more atmospheric there is that kind of sense of like gothic horror to it there is like once you get to like the frankenstein like the uh valseria is it valeria or valseria i always kind of get the name of the village the name of the village incorrect but basically where frank the frankenstonians uh (laughs) hang their hat um where you get to there that is basically it, it it does kind of have that otherworldly out of time out of place feel to it mm. uh that i think was really missing with ghost of frankenstein which felt really flat there's more shadow to it uh i think the opening of it looks really well but he was known for not having really any sense of humor <laughs> and i think that there's kind of a missed opportunity here and i found this anecdote in the book universal horrors where they're talking about his experience filming uh, the movie Wall Street in 1929, where there's a scene where uh, one of the characters playing a, basically playing a ruthless tycoon manipulates uh, an underling into like jumping off the top of a building and splattering on the sidewalk. And the guy like looks out the window and is like, well, I didn't think he had the guts to do it. And everyone on the crew starts kind of cracking up laughing at the gallows humor of that. <laughs> right. And William Neal is like, I don't know what's so funny. Like, I don't get it. Like, where's the humor? Like, he had no idea. And that would kind of follow him around. Like, he's like, I don't see any humor in any of this. Like, really just like total blank face. Like, so the idea of like Bella Lugosi stumbling around half blind grunting just didn't it didn't find the humor okay because did nothing for yikes so you know this is what you know the first of what universal is going to call their monster rally pictures where they're going to combine like the legendary and the still bankable characters like they are definitely not as scary as they were in their earlier iterations 
but they're still bankable. People are still turning out for them. The next movie, we're going to get four monsters. You get to House of Dracula, we have five. You get to Abbott and Costello, you get three. Four, if you count a little cameo there at the end. Mm -hmm. This is the first cinematic shared universe, right? It pretty much has to be. Yeah, Um, I can't. I don't know what else would qualify. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't Unle- either. Un- unless you count the the trio of Fritz Lang films, um, Doctor Mabusa, The Gambler, oh, Testament, oh, okay, Dr. Mabusa, okay. and M. That might that might because the M you the would consider M from, to be part of that. The okay. inspector from okay. M is the cop in Testament of Doctor Mabusa. So yeah, okay, that okay, kind of counts as a cinematic yeah, you, shared universe. You make a yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a that's a stretch. That's a single character. You know, I, but again, yeah. I, but again, I'm with I say, it. Hey, if that counts, it's all good. Then that would be it. Well, but sort of not, like the peacemaker or not the peacemaker ugh, out of sight and Jackie Brown, you know, right. because, uh, Michael Keaton's Keaton in both, plays right. the same character in both yep. movies, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So, but this is on a much larger scale than anything like that, that had come for oh, sure. Before, yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, this is like, obvious we're, we're intentionally making this all part of the same thing here now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the continuity, I think it's fair to say is very loose when it comes to these (laughs) films, right? Um, Yes. Yeah. You get to the next. I feel like there's an attempt here, but like nowhere else. (laughs) Right. Cause I mean, you get references to Wolfman and references to, well, kind of references. Ghost of Frankenstein, he burns. Ghost of Frankenstein does a pretty good job. Okay. Ghost of Frankenstein kind of continues the continuity pretty well. But one of the things with this one is like, okay, he burns down in in the house at the end of Ghost, right? I mean, they, Mm -hmm. they, they show him, it was a a house and then they show him now and he's in a castle. Right. And he's like frozen in ice now. And yeah. Yes. I mean, it's because yeah. fire definitely turns to ice in one of its states. Right. Let's do some math I here, real know. quick. No, that checks yes. out. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that definitely, I definitely know sixth grade science. That checks out. I mean, and you see his skin like coming off his face at the end of the last yeah. movie. Yes. It's like, it's like Freddy Krueger level burnings going on here. And it's just right. like, oh, he's, he's fine. We're all fine here. Thanks. Good. But also, like, the villagers make it out like Frankenstein had been terrorizing (laughs) the town for years. Right. Like, he's like Freddy Krueger, right? And that is, like, I think Andrew, it's either you or Andrew that mentioned it during, like, the Ghost episode, that it's kind of like the beginning of Ghost is kind of like how Springwood was in Freddy's (laughs) Dead. Yeah. Which I thought was a really all good of the comparison. clever uh, observations came from Andrew in that episode. <laughs> Andrew was really good. Andrew, Andrew was excellent. Yeah. He, we definitely need him, and he's coming on again. Yeah. We need to have him on more. Um, that goes away here, yeah, to a large degree. Where now they're like, "Oh, he, he's he's ruined this town." And it's like he was there for like half a day. Like it's kind of like a just kind of like passing through the town for one right. day. And he kind of spent 90% of his time at Ludwig's house, like not really bothering anyone. Right. In the village, yeah. You know, yeah. he did kidnap Maria, but twice, twice, no, only once the first time she asked for him to, Oh, that's true. Yeah. Pick her up and help get her ball. And again, I said this last episode, 
90% of the creature's problems could be avoided if he st- just didn't randomly pick up little girls. Yeah. If, if, I mean, look, we all know Frankenstein, like Wu Tang, is for the yeah. children. Yeah. Um, like, like Wu Tang, like Gamera, for the children. Yeah. But, like, maybe just, like, yeah. keep away from the kids because that's just I, the I source like of all these misunderstandings. S- Stephen, you could have avoided a lot of legal problems if you didn't randomly pick up little. No, I'm kidding. We all could, quite frankly. <laughs> Look, I should probably cut. People that, in glass houses should not throw stones, Mike. Come on, no, that's true. That's true. But no, really, the continuity is not very tight. No, in no. these movies, to put it mildly, this is more about how many monsters can we fit. This is more like an X Men yeah. Three situation. It, how many, how many characters can we put on screen at one time? Not with where did this guy come from? Like, again, there's like an yeah. attempt here, but not much of one. And yeah. by the next one, fucking forget I mean, it. I, it makes the Halloween franchise sure. look like a hell well-oiled machine. I, I got to say, though, reason. the continuity in the Universal movies is like, you know, is incredible. It's it's airtight compared to the Hammer continuity. <laughs> the Hammer continuity is nuts. Oh, yeah. It is. Uh, I mean, the first two really do link together but after that it's like forget it yeah mm-hmm. i mean the character Let's... is like not even the same mm-hmm. and yeah it's wild yeah so let's talk a little bit about who reappears and reappears in them again lino atwill does return for the third of five pictures and brian you had asked this last time and then we kind of like brushed over it a bit like because this is right when his legal troubles are kind of like right at their apex. yeah um, as this is in production in October of 42, this is when he's sentenced to five years of probation for perjury. So it's probably explains like why he is getting after like two pictures of having like a pretty substantial supporting role, like would have been not top of the mm-hmm. line billing, but would have been a pretty juicy supporting role. He's got a pretty insignificant role as the yeah. mayor this time. around. It's like enough to a- appease the, screen actors guild requirements yeah. and that's about it it seems like yeah. you know it's like hey you haven't we have them in contract you have to put them in some yep. kind of thing yeah. Yeah. yeah and it so it's hard to say because like some things you read and it's like after he was convicted his career went downhill he appeared in poverty row pictures and that was about it but then you read like there were are parts he in roles he was supposed to appear appear in he does appear in two more. He appears in House of Dracula and House of Frankenstein. He had to bow out of pictures because of health problems mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah, and that's true. He had a pretty sad... 46, he passes away from cancer. Mm-hmm. He had just remarried. He had just had a son. And it's a pretty sad end. Like I, I don't have it in front of me, but I you know, read about one of his friends visiting him a week before he passed and he said like his soul wasn't at peace. It was very angry mm. because he, he, you know, wanted to watch his son grow up and and he wasn't going to have that opportunity. So, you know, yeah. at will was a very, it's kind of got a tragic figure in a, a lot of ways. Yeah, I would agree. And some of it, a lot of it is self. <laughs> yeah, that's sure. true. That's true. So, um, uh, and also tragic. Dwight, Dwight oh, sorry, I was just going to say exactly that, you know, speaking of tragic stories, you know, Dwight Fry is, I mean, for me, he's the best part about Dracula. He's yes. one of those things about uh, Frankenstein, the original um, 31 version that is so great is, mm-hmm. is uh, 
is Fritz and um, yep. you know, he's relegated to a lot smaller role in, in bride yeah. uh, as Carl, but he's still memorable. He's got these little things. He yep. pops up in the invisible man as a reporter. You know, I don't think he's even he credited that, in that one. And you know, he's, all, he has that great line in a couple great lines in bride. Where he's yeah. Like, How about, you know, we go turn ourselves in. This is no life of a murder. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. You know, and he's, it's he's a fresh brain right you know, it's, it's uh like... what happened to him in the years between bride and uh meets the wolf man i mean it looks from what i can tell it looks like he's just getting relegated to smaller and smaller parts and i don't know if that was per his contract or something else but he kind of just gets relegated to smaller and smaller roles as he goes he plays nameless villagers in both son of frankenstein and ghost of frankenstein I think he's the one that suggests they they blow up the castle in Ghost. Yeah, um, he is. Uh-huh. So like he's he just kind of pops up there, but he's got way more to do in this one, and and actually his character has a, has a name in this one as well. But I mean, I'm looking over his filmography now, and it's just it's kind of just a lot of various. He, he's working consistently. It's just probably in uncredited roles or in mm-hmm. roles where he's like kind of cut out of or just goes uncredited um, right up until his death. I know in the forties, he starts to toggle back and forth between stage work and screen work, just wherever he can find work, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then once world war two starts, he, he gets hired on as a tool designer at Lockheed uh, and then eventually dies on a bus. Yep. Has a heart attack on a bus and dies oh, later yeah. in 43. Yep. On the bus to work, as I recall, he yeah, just, I think that's he, right. he dies. Yeah. Um, it's just a, it's such a sad story for someone who, I mean, every time that I watched one of these movies and I saw Dwight Fry show up, I mean, I remember vividly um, just watching, because um, I had, was familiar with Dracula and Frankenstein pretty early on, pretty young, but I got to most of the rest of them later. And when Dr- Dwight Fry would show up, I was like, Oh yes, it's Dwight Fry. And I was so excited about that. And then just to see him get smaller yeah. and smaller roles was so sad to me. And to hear, you know, years and years later that that's how he died uh, was just heartbreaking to me. So Well, that's the thing about so many of these movies. Mm-hmm. Like in one of the actors I pulled up, like Tom Stevenson, reappears in this movie he was like the first victim of the wolf man in the wolf man he's the grave digger and here he plays one of the grave robbers like he's the one that escapes mm-hmm. so when you look at these movies like the universal horror movies there seems to be like this really small troop of persons yeah. like lionel atwell yep. is one that appears um we'd mentioned dwight fry yep. like uh, Edward Van Sloan would appear in right. so many of these movies. There is the police inspector, and I'm just trying to dig up his name right here, but he appeared in uh, in Inspector Owen, played by Dennis Howley, who would appear in a number of like Sherlock Holmes films mm-hmm. uh, in the same exact role, basically, like to the point where his son retelling the story of the making this movie like joked that he thought he had said his dad probably thought he wandered into the wrong set and thought he was filming a sherlock movie um 
why do they have such a small pool of performers to choose from? Because it seems like they're just going to like, there are some things like Evelyn Anchors wasn't asked back for this movie to play the role, uh, to play the role she had played in Ghost of Frankenstein because she had just played the love interest of Larry Talbert in The Wolfman and they thought that might be confusing. Like it almost becomes incestuous, like how many of these persons are getting recycled. Like why are so many of the same people getting like cast and recast over and over in these quickie movies? I think that was just, you know, they Universal had their stable of contract players and they could Mm -hmm. pull from and um, not a huge group necessarily. I mean, um, so like we noticed another character like Hans from the first movie also plays one of the monster's victims in Sun and things like that as well. So um, but I think people also kind of got used to seeing them and it's like, oh, Hey, Edward Van Sloan is in this. So, um, if he's Dr. Van Helsing in the, in Dracula, I mean, it's kind of shorthand to put him as Dr. Waldman in Frankenstein. I mean, because you kind of get how those two things go together. Um, things like that, you know, Fritz and Carl make a lot of sense Mm -hmm. to be the same actor and frankly, Renfield as well. You know, they, there, there's all these kinds of things that like that, um, and I think people so would like latch on to familiar version, faces, you know? So like an early version of like somebody like a Wes Anderson always bringing in like a Jason Schwartzman. Bill Murray Bill and Marty stuff, and yeah. Having mm-hmm. like that. Sure. And like Owen Wilson. Yeah, and, well, I mean, you know, Coppola had, always was hiring Robert Duvall and, and Gene, you know, and, uh, you know, Al Pacino, people like that for a while. Marlon Brando always showed up, showed up in a bunch of his movies, things like that. It's, it's less the director yeah. doing it and more the studio. Cause yeah, the, the studio. Are yeah. The auteurs at this point. Yeah. The studio is like, yeah, you, know, you don't have the directing auteurs right. like you would yeah. in the 60s. You it's do, really but they're the, rare. And yeah. very, they don't very get rare. the freedom to work within that yeah. studio system. Right. So. right. Right, right. Uh, A couple notes in the brawl, which we'll talk about. Like most of it's handled by a pair of stuntmen. Eddie Parker standing in for Lon Chaney. Gil Perkins standing in for Bella Lugosi. Um, Eddie Parker definitely made some comments about uh, Leona Massey's like nighting wear. Like when he had to like kind of carry her around, like he's like, geez, you can kind of like see right through it. Like you kind of want to carry her around and take her somewhere to be alone. It's like, oh, Eddie. Yikes. Yikes, Eddie, no. Eddie, no. Um, no, Eddie, no. No, but the, the two men were told by Neil, like, just work out what you want to do. Let him know what what was going on. And he would roll the camera. Like Neil would kind of give them a few ideas, like, this is how we want to start it. This is a couple like big pieces. And then here's how we want to, uh, a couple of things you want to capture. But by and large, like the two stuntmen had a lot of creative freedom. Kind of like a proto um, they live. Yeah. Kind of like that, except a lot shorter. Right. Oh, significantly shorter. <laughs> Disappointingly again, these, shorter. Yeah. Because these monsters are meeting. Right. They're not necessarily fighting. Correct. You know? Yeah, that's right. 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 Obviously. Yeah, and what do we think? Like Jack Pierce is back again to create the makeup for Lugosi and Cheney. Um, I'll ask you guys, what do we think of the makeup job here for Lugosi specifically? Well, how does he look under that monster makeup? 
<laughs> well, the thing is that makeup was originally designed for Karloff's face. And so right. anyone who's not Karloff just looks weird in it. I'm sorry. I mean, I think when it's played for comic effect, like uh, Fred Gwynn, I, I love mm-hmm. him in, in, as Herman Munster. And I, it, it works in that. I think Glenn Strange is probably, you know, he's the second. He, he does okay with it. Uh, sure. Lugosi's face is just so round and it it's is. just sort of short. And it, it that's the thing. Karloff has a, had a really, really long face, you know, yeah. and big chin and everything. You know, he his nose sort of just had, it just worked with that makeup. And Lugosi's, you know, he's got, he's got, you know, his great, he he was in Hungary. He was like a leading man. He was considered hands one of the most handsome men in his homeland. And you know he has the cleft chin, and he's got, and frankly, it just kind of looks silly. It says a lot about Hungary, yeah, you're right? Well, I mean, also if you look up the early pictures of him, though, he he's a very good. handsome young man. But he is. Um, apparently, went to a screening of uh, Black Cat later in his life and yelled yeah. audibly for the entire audience, "What a handsome bastard I was!" Like. <laughs> I believe that. Um, well, one of the things that's funny is, you know, I the um, the makeup that they used, because um, in the first movie, Karloff took out his bridge work. And so Pierce um, shaded in the to make it look a little bit more cavernous. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Th- that became a tradition. So by this movie, it, it kind of looks right. like he just has a, a mole. It looks like the Cindy Crawford. Yeah, like it's like the it beauty does. mark. It's it's ridiculous yeah. looking. Um so I'm sorry, this, the makeup's just not right for Bella's face. It looks goofy. Yeah, yeah it looks goofy. It's not. He, yeah, he. You're right. He looks too round. Yeah. It just, yeah, it doesn't. I, I think Cheney works a lot better. Yeah. In Ghost. At least looks better in the makeup. He's also he's a really, really big man. Um, that helps. Yeah, though Lugosi is was a lot taller than I ever thought he was. You know, to be mm-hmm. honest, when I saw pictures of Karloff and uh, Lugosi together, like standing in their tuxedos, whatever. I was like, oh, it always it was shocking to me to discover that Lugosi is actually a little taller than Karloff. I always um, thought that Karloff was just like this towering, like yeah, huge man, but he really wasn't that big. No. And um, he was four foot eleven. <laughs> uh, you know those boots right. were... they were that big. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was. He was. He was really something. He was like five ten. You you, 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 you you caught me off you guard. Like, he was he was in real life. He was actually like five ten. Like I think. I thought he was like six foot even. I think he was like an even or something six. like that. Yeah. Um. So they were they were actually pretty close in height. Um. So because I always thought you know he's so huge you know as a kid and then, um. So, I mean, well, poor Bella too is like almost sixty. Yeah, he turns sixty on he, the set. Yeah. 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 And he's the the costuming is about. 35 40 pounds so he actually gets diagnosed with exhaustion i believe it yeah. when he is doing this because he's just like carrying around all this extra weight so he's an older man and he's you know not in the best physical condition like he's kind of lived a kind of a hard life yeah you know knowing what we know about bella lugosi this is before so the morphine problem right Oh, I'm not sure. That's I, I'm not I, I'm not really sure when the morphine problem started in earnest, to be honest with you. Fair. Yeah. Um, um, I will say like the werewolf effects in this are outstanding. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. they're a step above. They're better than the wolf man. You yeah. get 
definitely and you get two on camera like transformations and they're like legit fantastic they're great yeah well the face one is so good uh because you know he's laying on that pillow and you know they made the pillow out of plaster and stuff like that so it wouldn't mm-hmm. change and um it, it just looks it it's just miles ahead of the one it, you know because yeah. in the wolfman they show his feet for the first one mm-hmm. and you can yep. see the pant legs moving all over the place and it's like clearly yeah. lap dissolves and everything and here it's still clearly lap dissolves but somehow i mean I, I just think it's so much better and i think um part of what's so great i mean pierce as it's clear that the frankenstein makeup i think is the most iconic i think that um mm-hmm. that makeup is will always be the one that he's remembered for, but it's also a compromise. It's also the one that he did with P, you know, Karloff's face and with uh, James whale. And yeah, I mean, so it wasn't just Pierce. The Wolfman is Pierce. The Wolfman is his makeup. His, his specialty was doing hair. Uh, He'd done a lot of hair stuff. He was originally going to use that makeup for werewolf of London. And Henry Hole said, you're covering up too much of my face. Um, You know, so this was his design. This was the, his passion to do this. And um, you even see, you know, like the Lugosi makeup on Island of lost souls, you know, the hair makeup on all those movies that on, on all those characters in that movie, you can see how much he loved doing, you know, like, hairy monsters. And so, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a, it's a brilliant makeup. It's iconic, almost as iconic as, as the Frankenstein yeah. makeup. Um, and yeah. it's, it's one of his best and it's great. It is. So the original idea was Cheney and they floated this around and it was quickly abandoned, but the idea was to have Cheney play both the Wolfman and the monster. And the monster. Yeah. Right. Which I'm not quite sure. Like, how feasible that would have been. And it was quickly abandoned. And again, like that would have been a lot of time in the makeup chair. Like that would have, it been would have been crazy. I think that and Cheney's alcoholism were the two main reasons why they decided not to go that route. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, there have been movies where, you know, the actor splits the screen and you play mm-hmm. both parts, you know, that kind of thing had happened. Sure. Um, even in, including a, a James whale movie, actually the man in the iron mask where mm. actor played both characters mm-hmm. and, uh, Peter Cushing played the stand in, uh, he, he, he was how, the stand in yeah. on that, which is an interesting well, thing. Awesome. So yeah. how much is Cheney in the makeup? You know, I know when they have the close ups, he is. So when he was, when they're in the streets of London, for example, mm-hmm. and you see, Cause it's a very physical performance. Yeah. Like it's a very, almost like a gymnast performance where he's like pouncing on all fours for example. Right. I have a hard time cause Lon Chaney Jr. Is like a very large yeah. man and he's not, especially in this movie, you start to see there's some wear and tear in him. Like there's definitely, he's bulked up a little yeah. bit. He looks, he looks like a sentient hangover punchy. in this movie. He looks punchy. Yeah. For lack of a better like how much of that is Cheney doing some of that work, not necessarily just in the fight at the end, sure. but also like when he's running about in the woods or running about in the street versus like Eddie Parker, do we have any sort of idea or is that just lost to time? As far as I know, that's just lost to time. Um, because okay. the assumption is that Cheney plays the Wolfman. Um, right. Yeah. You know, that's just kind of always been the the feeling. Um, they did alter the makeup slightly from the first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in one respect in particular, the 
the feet. Uh, cause in the Wolfman, his feet are sort of like on a, they have like a rigid boot. So his feet are at an angle. So it looks more animal like, like, uh, like haunches, um, yep. where that's not in this one or any of the others. Um, so it's, so he's moving differently in this one than okay. he is in the others. Um, but you're right. The athleticism is a pretty surprising if it's him. Uh, and there's a, there's a possibility that it's not, I would guess. Yeah. 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 That'd be so, my guess. Yeah. But I, I never really thought about it, thought about it either. I mean, to, to really watch it and analyze it and go through and say, cause one of the unfortunate things about, uh, the sequels beyond bride, uh, is there are no like commentaries, you know, you don't yeah. get the David J skull, and uh, you know Greg Mank commentaries that you get on the other ones yeah. that are so detailed, where you just right. find out yeah. everything about every frame of the movie, uh, which is yeah. a shame. Um, no, like this movie is like one of three on the Blu-ray. Yeah. It's this in the House movies, yeah. and, which is surprising, just because like there is a lot of meat on all three of these. Sure, like, there's a surprisingly more to this one. Like researching yeah. it than expected which is why we're nearly an hour in <laughs> we haven't even like, yeah, talked about the movie yet yeah but you're about to in one moment yeah. <laughs> yeah, i just did want to note like hand salter is back to score it mm-hmm. there are definitely cues that have been recycled from like the wolfman yes. and from other universal i did i mentioned this in the ghost episode there uh during the lightning scene there were moments that i'm like i hear scores of like later on like rocky uh the um going the distance like bill conti maybe being influenced and i think i meant to like dm you brian and ended up in the main (laughs) slap there is like a i'm telling you there's like at the end of the main title okay there is like this multiple like bell that's ringing and i'm like that is the end of going the distance like that is the end of like round 14 in rocky okay go ahead and Okay. You know, I got to pay more like, attention. I got no way that Bill Conti. <laughs> you even told that. And then I'm thinking. You even said that before I watched the movie and I didn't catch it. So, yeah. Okay. But I and believe you. you like Bill, you've seen Rocky a lot more no. than I have. So, uh, God, it's so yeah. good. Let's pause right now and go watch Rocky. Yeah. Sounds Come good. <laughs> got to fly now. God, that movie is so fucking good. Um, and if you right. want to hear Mike's well, thoughts on that, uh, check out Movies for Life. That's yeah, right. Because we yeah, had a, we do that. <laughs> we, a fun great episode. conversation about that. Where I just like rambled for like <laughs> No, it was hours. awesome. That was that was so much fun. I did do. the same about Citizen Kane. You did Mike, the same about worry. Citizen Kane, and that is another great episode. So hey, plug right in the middle here. Check out Movies for Life. Both Absolutely. Mike and Steven have been on as guests talking about two of their favorites. So Rocky yeah. and Citizen Kane. So So let's talk this one. Let's talk. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Doesn't fight, not fights, not versus, I mean, not versus. They do fight, but it, it's toward the end. Yeah, I would say they tussle. There, there's a there's a row. They wrestle. Tussle. Yeah. So it's not the knockdown drag out that you made it sound like at the beginning, but yeah, yeah. Oh. I had this talk with my mom today because, like, you know, we were talking about like boys versus girls in like middle school and like how it's different and like. Because middle school girls can be vicious. Like, they really can. Yes. Correct. They can make me cry. Uh, I don't go near teenagers at all. They scare me. They're the scariest thing on the planet, quite frankly. Terrifying. Like, middle school boys can get in massive fights. Mm -hmm. Uh Like, 
wail on each other to the point where like, you know, like it hurts to watch it. And then the next day, like be best friends again. Absolutely. (laughs) I don't see that with like, you know, young women. And you know what? Good for young women. Hold those grudges. The most vicious <laughs> fight I ever saw. I was in the middle of the hallway and it took like five teachers to break this thing up. And as I was walking by where the fight had been on my way to class, I saw a clump of hair in a pool of blood. Oh, and yeah. that was the moment that I realized that girl fights are not the same as guy fights. Well, this is, I'm not even talking about like physical fighting. I'm talking about like verbal assassination. Oh, sure. That too. I'm, I, I, but even physical fights some, though. The, yeah, the, I have they, been around some like young women yeah. that were like the John Wilkes booth of <laughs> verbally taking down their classmates. Wow. It is like the, the biggest know. physical fight I saw in junior high was a couple of girls like wailing on each other. And I, I yeah. remember, seeing, but were they friends the next day? Is my absolutely no. not. I, I'm pretty yeah, sure they guys, were suspended. I feel like, yeah. Right. But but I mean, like with guys the next day, like they can be like buddy, buddy. You guys oh, see that happen. All which the is time. crazy. But it's true. And my point is it's like, my, my, my point in this like kind of misogynistic and sexist rant that I just read. <laughs> because it, it a little bit is. Well, the movie is a little bit too, that. so that's okay. It yeah. is. Because um, I'm, I'm speaking in generalities sure. here. Um I feel like the next day, like once Frankenstein and the Wolfman wash ashore, right? They would look at each other and be like, bro, it ain't that deep. Go to IHOP, (laughs) get like a triple stack of chocolate pancakes. And like, they would buddy up. They would like bump fists and be like, all right, on to the next town. You know, and, and Frankenstein says, "Hey, you know what? I'm having a house party. You should come." And then we get House of Frankenstein. House of Frankenstein. That's right. Then Dracula would show up in that stupid fucking top hat. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, tell us how you feel about the top hat, Mike. Oh my god, man, it's so dumb. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what's not dumb? The beginning of this movie. Oh, it's good. It's real good. It's real good. Yeah. You know, we were talking about like dismissing the '40s Universal monster movies as stuff for kids, but like the opening of the Talbot Crip, I think is is among the better scenes in terms of suspense and terror yeah. in the universal canon. It's so good. Like, like you have like not only a great looking graveyard, yeah. but like the wind whipping through the, in, the interior, like it, it's the way it's played by the two grave robbers. Like they're legit scared to be there. Yeah. The moon shining in through on the coffin, like it's aces all around. Right? And then that hand reaching up out of it, like just the way that it's yeah. shot and the way that it's filmed maybe some of the best filmmaking in this movie. Although this definitely feels a lot visually, at least so a, a huge step up from ghost, which was just yeah. so all of it is flat. My, my issue with ghost of Frankenstein is that everything, I mean, the lighting, the acting, the story, everything about it is flat. Whereas mm. here, and you have just a visual style set up right from the beginning. And I, I tell you, as soon as this scene starts right at the beginning, you see the angles are, you know, they're dynamic. The camera is yeah. dynamic. The shadows, the design, the just the 
contrast between dark and light is just like it is visually interesting and then by the second scene you have you know like these michael curtis style you know shadows you know when when the nurse opens the window it reminds me of a shot in casablanca when you know rick opens the safe you know i mean it's just like that kind of shadow play and bringing the noir elements back yeah exactly and it just looks like it belongs to the franchise in a way Mm -hmm. that ghost doesn't uh, because you know the the whale films, and I think Son of Frankenstein all have these really dynamic visuals to them. Uh, Son is all is all German expressionism. Totally, yes. Hook it up to my veins, yes, please. Yeah, Son is very German expressionism, and and so that is sort of brought back in here, and it just helps it immensely. Even though you know the story is a little bit goofy, I mean it doesn't really matter because you're just kind of drawn in by how it looks in to at least at the beginning, you know? So I, I I really find that to be such a refreshing change after sort of slogging our way through the last film. Even even the story they're telling as they're in there, they're keys covered in wolf Spain. And why does the corpse look so good? And you're like building that anticipation as it goes. And, when Talbot grabs at grave robber number two and he looks over at him and is like, help me. And the other guy just runs out terrified. Yeah. I think it's like a great little addition to that as well. And you have mm-hmm. uh, the lantern being knocked over and you know that it could be very easily you go up in flames in there. So you have like an out as to like why there might be nobody that's left inside of there because everything could have gone up. So you have like some actual logical storytelling and not just something that is like, eh, this is a dumb movie for children. So like, don't worry about it. Like Seattle Mac has some like smart storytelling choices whenever he's dealing with just like the Larry Talbot stuff. And that's his real strength. He wrote this. It's, it feels like he wrote this as a sequel to the Wolfman. This it is does. what it is. Absolutely. It really is a, a wolf yeah. yeah, and and because you're with Talbot for so much of the movie, um, Frankens- the monster doesn't even show up until minute thirty five. I I yeah. like yeah. clocked it. It's, and it's, it's only what a sixty five minute movie, something like 73. that. Seventy three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So almost halfway through the running time. Yeah. And 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 then you get you know the other titular character. So it's it's absolutely a Wolfman sequel that Frankenstein just kind of gets, or the creature I guess gets shoehorned yeah. into. Yeah. Yeah. Tech. Well, I guess a Frankenstein did meet the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Leona Massey's character. Absolutely. She is a Frankenstein. So should be called. You're going to get that blowhard. It should be called the monster meets the Wolfman. Uh, I'll cut that part off. I just slows this. Show <laughs> um, yeah. I just feel like Cedemek whenever he's writing about Talbot. And I think you have like, you know, Cheney doesn't have a lot of range, but he certainly has a lane here yeah. and he is great in this lane. His his portrayal of it's haunted. It, it is. And it's it's the reason why the Wolfman is my favorite of the Universal Monsters. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of the main reasons I wanted to come on and talk about this movie in particular is because of Cheney's performance, mm-hmm. yeah. which I think is incredible. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's playing a man who is wrestling with these, these demons, whereas he himself as a, as a person, as an individual is wrestling with his own demons. And so there's this kind of meta layer to the character. I also just love 
I'm a sucker for any kind of duality within a character. That's mm-hmm. why I love like the incredible Hulk and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Like I love the yeah. fact that it's, he's wrestling with the beast within with these inner demons. And I think given his, what he's gone through and what he will continue to go through for the rest of his life, he feels oddly perfect for this role. And every time he, he I think he only plays it like three times, uh, the original film here and in um, Abbott and Costello, if I'm, unless I'm mistaken, I think he only, no, well, he's, he's a Wolfman the all the way through. Spell. Yeah. He's, oh, is he? Okay, good. Yeah. You got, you okay, got, yeah. at least, you got two more. He's okay. Cause he's going to be in house of, yeah, he, he doesn't, play it much in house of dracula okay like he's quote-unquote cured mm. pretty early on in house of dracula yeah um and then i haven't seen those not yet cured, so i don't know and then he's not cured in abbott and costello meets yeah. gotcha right i do know yeah. that because i've seen abbott and costello i've not seen and i'll be back for abbott and costello excellent yeah. he was the uh only actor to play the monster all in every time it showed up to right. play the wolf. He was the only one that played uh, the wolf. He played, he was the only actor to play the wolf man. And, um, you know, he was the only one who ever did. So that's, um, he played it every time. And um, that's the only time that happened. So. Which is funny because like, it's the one character because anyone can be the wolf man. Like Bela Lugosi plays a werewolf in the wolf man, mm-hmm. like briefly. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you think about it, like it's the only character that really excite, except for maybe the Gilman in Creature, because yeah. mm-hmm. there could be more Gilman. We just don't. See I guess any. did uh, did Browning did Rico Browning play uh, that? I I could be mistaken. I'm I'm not sure if he played the Gilman all in all three movies or not. Well, all I'm thinking is like yeah. what I, what I mean is like you could do other Wolfman movies with characters. Oh like yeah, Larry Talbot. Uh, yeah, you could easily have like. Larry Talbot, one of his victims, could come back as like a werewolf if you, if for, for some sure. reason you didn't want to bring back Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah. But like he brings this like sense of foreboding, the sense of loss, the sense of of just not wanting to be around anymore. And like, did we put a content warning at the beginning of the show that we'd be talking about like suicide and suicidal ideation? We did. I don't not. think we did. So I'm going to add one at the. I'll add one before the music um for like again a fairly light movie the main theme the, the our main character's theme here his his goal is to die that's all he wants to do right. and it's what he can't do like he was at peace for four years because he was dead and the only thing he's not even seeking a cure in this movie he's not even saying someone take this lycanthropy away from me so I can live out my life as a a normal human being, a normal man again, because that's no longer an option for him. He's saying, I don't want to live anymore. I want to be dead. That's Mm -hmm. the only way I'm ever going to be at peace. Please kill me. That is heavy shit for a light monster movie. And it, in the forest. It kind of draws him back to having similarities with Karloff's version of the oh, monster. Yeah. Because, Absolutely. you know, I mean, uh, the Bride of Frankenstein, love dead, hate living, you know. Um, he's essentially wanting to destroy himself as well. Uh, and, you know, that's more or less what happens at the end of Bride, or he tries at yeah. least. Um, right. But yeah, so it's, it's a, it's that, yeah, that's one of the things about this is that it has that dark tone that just goes through the whole thing, you know, and 
even you have the musical number and it's underscoring that theme, you know, it's, yeah. it's pretty wild uh, to, to do some of oh. these things. Yeah. The musical number is wonderful because you feel like it's going to be this kind of like throwaway interlude mm-hmm. and anything it's done to kind of like pad the running it time certainly a feels because like it, it is such yeah. a short time. I think it's a great, even though if it's padding, I still love it's it. Great. I think it's a wonderful. It's one of the most memorable scenes in the movie in a way. It really yeah. is. And it, it adds a bit of visual flair. It adds a touch of dynamicism to the village and the villagers overall. It gives it a really great atmosphere. And you you think it's going to be just a gag. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, like the, the words like, you know, the words really hit home with Talbot. And he freaks out because and that's one of the core things about Talbot is he underneath you, especially when you see him at the beginning of the Wolfman, you have this calm kind of a guy with a lot of swagger, yeah. the kind of guy that will like spy a woman across the street in a uh, telescope and then go like hit on her. doesn't care right. that she has a fiance. He's like, I'm taking you to the fair tonight. Like you're going to be with me. I'm taking two dates with me because I'm Larry fucking Talbot. That's what I do. Um, and I love it. I, he's he's great in those moments. And that's all been taken away from him. Underneath all of that is this really scared, angry person that will lash out in a heartbeat. And he's really scary when he does. Yeah. Like you can see where the beast and where that murderous impulse from the, the wolf man comes from. Because Larry's about to throttle this guy. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to live forever. I don't want life eternal. Get away from me. And everybody is looking at him like, who the fuck is this guy? We're just mm-hmm. here to drink some beer, sing and dance, dude. Yeah. What's up? Absolutely. And in your Oktoberfest scene uh, is what it <laughs> feels like, you know, to have that party crasher just kind of come into it all and remind us that, oh, yeah, Larry wants to die. Um, that's the whole reason you... he's here. That's all he's doing. That's the reason yeah. he sought out Elsa Frankenstein. Like that's, I mean, that's the crux of it. You you see it on his face as soon as the the bard sings "May they live eternally." You you see just all the color drain from his face, and he just like he is he's immediately back on his heels. He's like he's like a cornered animal in that moment, yeah. and mm-hmm. like a cornered animal, he absolutely lashes out. Again, it's one of the things I love about the portrayal is the way that Cheney is really able to embody that 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 animalistic nature of that character so well in both the transformed portrayal and the human portrayal as well. Can you contrast that with the very gentle, almost, I don't even like to say like mother and son, almost like, you ever have a favorite aunt? Like you have like almost like grandmother and grandson where you have like an older aunt or a grandmother that you really like to spend time around. Like the relationship with Talbot and Maria Ospenskaya's Maliva, uh, yeah. Mel- Maliva yeah. the Romani woman. And if, if we could use the term Absolutely. Romani, Absolutely. Speak yeah. about, let's do that when we're here. Uh, not use the slur term that's used throughout yeah, nope. this. Yeah. Can we compare like that rage he feels versus like the very gentle nature of the relationship that he has with Mali, uh, Maliva. And I mean, it stems from the first film, but 
I think there's there are levels to it. On the one hand, this is the only person that knows what he's going through, mm-hmm. that he knows, understands his pain and his struggle because her son went through the exact same thing in the previous right. film. And so she has firsthand, she's the one that basically tells him all this stuff in the first film. And so he knows that if there's anyone who understands it's her. And because of that, she's really the only person he can trust. Yeah. Um, that he knows that he can trust and does in fact, trust her implicitly with his life on many occasions. And she's, for her part, she's the one looking out for him across the board. She's the one who, you know, when the townspeople kind of turn on her, she stands there and takes it. She stands by him, continues to stand by him. Um, like it is very much that, and, and she become, or I think he becomes her surrogate son in a way. Like he's lost everything because of this curse that's afflicted him. And she's lost everything because of the same curse. And so it's these two broken people who find each other and find in that other person, the thing that they've lost and try to rebuild it again together. And that's, that's kind of beautiful. Yeah. She, uh, Maria Ospenskaya really elevates the material, I think too, with her performances. Um, There's lots of stereotypes thrown around in both the Wolfman and here, uh, but she just rises above that with her performance, giving so much nuance. And uh, I, I, I think they're really remarkable and um, both films would be just so much different and worse for her not being there. Oh, agreed. You know? And you know, they, it's, it's such an indelible moment. I mean, it's brought back in like the howling, you know, yep. uh, there's the Wolfman's playing on television. So the, and, well, George so Wagner the is the is name a, of the doctor yeah. in that movie, you know? Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Nice. yeah. So we've talked to her a few movies, especially when we talked about the first two Frankensteins. That the main, one of the main themes was the abdication of responsibility on the part of Henry towards his creation. Yeah. And like how that is so much in part responsible for why the creature behaves as it does. Mm-hmm. And here you have Maliva taking responsibility to a certain extent for Larry's behavior. Because Maliva is the mother of Bella, mm-hmm. who is the warehouse that, or Bella, uh, the where that's how it, would, it was pronounced in the world. Yeah, band, yeah it would. Correct? No, that's, that's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. So she was the mother of Bela, the were the werewolf that passed on his affliction to Larry Talbot. So even though you know, she's not responsible for it, she was not her that passed on this curse to Larry. She assumes some responsibility for it, and she is empathetic towards him at that point. So she takes him under her wing at that point, and she does everything she can to help him find peace at that point. Unlike any of the, you know, any of the Frankensteins, really Mm -hmm. all of the, from Henry to Ludwig to Wolf, all of them have just seen the creature as a means to an end, whether that be glorifying their, whether it be like 
proving to science they can do something for the sake of it and then saying, well, that's the extent of what I wanted to do mm-hmm. to restoring the fa- family name to like, I don't even know what Ludwig was trying to do, like halt <laughs> a blackmail scheme by Igor, basically. I think yeah. he was he was also trying to restore legitimacy to the family name just by I by don't transplant so. by transplanting the brain of his his colleague. Yes, he was, but he ends it Igor double crosses and it ends up yeah. being uh it yeah. ends up going And then out. you have Dr. Frank here. Who's just like, I just got to see what happens. Man. <laughs> yeah. like, I can't destroy Frankenstein's mm-hmm. creation. You know? He's not he's even like the original. He's just, I, I was like, there's some, there's gotta be something about this lab that everybody who walks into it. Cause everyone's like, no, I can't do this again. I can't, I won't do this again. They go in that lab and all of a sudden they're like, maybe I can figure it what out. If? Maybe I can get it right. I can get it right. He's like, yeah. no, yeah. I can fix him. <laughs> Like he's the Patrick Knowles is the original. I can fix him. A hundred percent. Side note, Dr. Frank is also the name of the lead singer of the Mr. T experience. One of the great pop punk band of the eighties, nineties and two thousands. Patrick Knowles continues the tradition in universal monster movies of being like the second male lead that has all the, like very good to look at, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but has all the charisma of like Tapio. Yes. Like, oh yep. man, that goes back to you David know. Manners and Dracula. Oh, 100%. My God. oh gosh, or um, yep. yeah, like, David Manners is just like a tepid pool of water. Oh, gosh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of like the Patrick in the insidious movies and the conjuring movies, man. You know? All the personality of a wet dish rag. Oh, my god, he's just like, Hi, I'm handsome and boring. <laughs> Hello, I am handsome, and uh, I will assert myself upon this woman, and she will like it because I am handsome. Yeah, and she does. Yeah, always does. You'll do. Yeah, y'all do. Well, I can't. I don't. Everyone else in this is an aged character actor or a monster, so I guess you're my only option. Yes, that's it. It's going to get really weird when we get to the next movie. You should definitely watch. Oh, I will. I've I've been watching along. Oh, Uh, I had to. I I had to cram. I had to cram Ghost in today because that episode hasn't dropped yet. So I had to kind of. How I had to kind of House of Frankenstein is awesome because it's just Boris Karloff as a mad scientist. I love that. That, uh, Shooing scenery with a bib, like literally. Absolutely. Yeah. The the cool uh, thing is I own all of these movies because between my partner and I, we have like four or five of the Universal Legacy Collection sets. So Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I don't have, I have the DVDs, so I didn't have um, Frankenstein meets on my DVD, but I had the Wolfman set. So I just pulled out the Wolfman set and there it is. So, yeah, I've been watching along. I, I, I love these Excellent. movies so much. So, like we said, Cinemac is definitely more interested in the Larry Talbot stuff here. You can kind of be forgiven if you think, like, when the villagers talk about Frankenstein, that you if you kind of think they're talking about Henry Frankenstein mm-hmm. and his part in the monster's history, but they're actually talking about Ludwig. And the tales, like, it doesn't match up. Like, it does not really... It doesn't make any sense at all. Like we said, continuity spotty at best. Yeah. Cause right. now we're in a different town than we're not in the town of Frankenstein. The town of Frankenstein after at the end of Son of Frankenstein seems to be like, Hey, everything's cool. You guys go back to America, have a nice life. We love you. 
Yeah, they run them out. They run Wolf out on a rail, pretty much, <laughs> which is awesome. Which is yeah. amazing. I love that. And I think the only reason but they the, don't is don't literally run him out on a rails because he's like, "Look, you can have the castle, you can have the land. Yep. I don't care. Rename the town, right. whatever. Peace. You can have Peter. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, take my wife. No, really, right." But well, Ghost doesn't take place on the right. town of it, Frankenstein. They leave exactly. it because right? they. They leave in the beginning, like the monster and Igor, they like peace out. Like they go to some other random town. Mm-hmm. And I forget. And I think that's why I think it's Valsaria. It's like the name that's like sticks in my head. It begins with some V. But those villagers are acting like Frankens, the creature has ruined our town. It's brought nothing but ruin upon us. And the Frankenstein name is cursed. It's like, dude, like the Igor and the creature spent like a lovely weekend there. They carried a kid around. Frankenstein went to trial and then he like hung out in the Ludwig's home and then they blew up the castle or the, and that was it. And a bunch of people did get gassed to death. That is true that, okay. A bunch of people did get poison gassed. So I guess that would probably leave some scars. So I guess they do have a little bit of Technically speaking, wasn't that Dr. Volmer's fault? Yeah, but I mean, who who was, who would know? Who would know? They would just assume. They would just assume it was Frankenstein. I mean, all, I mean the only reason they knew that is because like, Ralph Bellamy busted in and started yelling about gas. Right. And like, because all houses just had gas that you could turn on and pipe into the halls. Like, right. they know what the hell's going on. Right. Come on. And you notice that like, Elsa has not stayed with Ralph Bellamy. I had, I did like, notice at that. At the end yeah. of that, it goes, she's like, she got bored with him, you know, and his handsome face. I mean, he. I, I watched that movie earlier today. He sounds exactly the same in Ghost as he does in Trading Places. I was cracking up every time he'd say something. I just expected him to go Mortimer, and I just I was losing it. So, I mentioned this earlier. Uh, Evelyn Anchors does not return to the role of Elsa uh, because she needs to do Frozen. No, because um, <laughs> yeah, after my- doing. After doing Ghost, she plays the love interest in The Wolfman. And Universal was like, that's a bridge too far for continuity. We can't possibly <laughs> do that. So uh, Ilona Massey comes in. And this is the last time like a Frankenstein will factor in a Frankenstein movie for the next three. Even in House of Frankenstein, no Frankensteins live in that house. So. Right. This will be it for the Frankenstein legacy. Damn. It's for all that, all that confusion over the monster's name, or is it Frankenstein, the monster, or is the monster Frankenstein, you know, all of that, you know, is universal's fault. And it Mm -hmm. goes back to bride of Frankenstein. (laughs) Yep. This all could have been, if if like Henry had just named the monster. Yeah. Your name is like, I name I name him Steve. (laughs) Why is it gonna be no. Steve? Why is the monster gotta be Steve, Mike? I well, here's the thing. I always heard and that Mary Shelley said, "Oh, the monster's name is Adam." Mm-hmm. It's not in the book. It's not. It's one of those things that popped up. I think maybe that's in one of the movies that came along later that was supposedly you mentioned like the real. Yeah, I bet. I I have a feeling. I haven't even watched that one yet, but I have a feeling that he names the creature Adam in that. And everyone assumes that that movie is like exactly the novel, which it is not at all. Um, So anyway. So the other thing too, like uh, in terms of, 
in terms of like some of the weirdness of this movie, like when you are with Larry Talbot, the first like third of this movie, it's very modern. Yeah. Right. It's modern times. And then as soon as he connects with Malavia, uh, Maleva, you and you get into like the Frankenstein portion of it. It again, like goes out of modern times. And now you're like horse drawn carriages again. Mm-hmm. And you have like the Oktoberfest and it's the cobbled streets and there's like doesn't seem to be electricity any longer except at Frankenstein's castle. Um, old world. We're going we're going back to the old world. Yeah, that I think I described it before as being kind of like uh the kind of like the um oh god, I'm so sorry right now. Snow globes. Sure. You know, that kind of like fairy tale setting. Yeah, like it's time. almost yeah. a world in and of itself. And it's I don't think it's purposeful. I just think they didn't necessarily care. Mm. Well, part of it is they had that that set. They had that Europe set, True. you know, there. Mm-hmm. And it's still there. Uh, I mean, it burned down and they rebuilt it exactly. Yeah. Um, and so it's still there. And you, you look at it and it's like, oh, this is, it just looks like an old school village. So it's like, hey, let's make everything old school. Uh, yeah, so might as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fun to go through the tour there. You ever been to the Universal oh, Hollywood? It's a, day. it's a, yeah. I mean, um, the Court of Miracles still is still there and everything. It's great. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I could just see you just grinning ear to ear through that entire tour, just like, oh, yeah. just the happiest you've ever been. Oh, yeah. We, we went on it last spring and it was just like, it was, it was fantastic. I saw some of the pictures you posted on social and I was just like, God, good for Brian. I'm so happy for well, him. Well, visiting the Nightmare House was something, I tell you. That was that was Excellent. like standing on holy ground right there. <laughs> so anyway, that's wonderful. Digressing. Um, but even the villagers, like they're ready to throw Talbot and Melvea out, like tar and feather them. And then when Elsa shows up, they roll out the red carpet for her, and she's a Frankenstein. Yep. Although she's lovely, I kind of like her. I, I yeah. really like her Miss Massey's performance. Here. I think she does a lot well, better than, than Anchors does. She's got a lot more to play, I think, than Anchors yeah. did in the previous film. Yeah. So mm-hmm. a little, little swagger there. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of swagger. Um, I do want to say two words right now, and, and I think we'll talk about this next. Poor Bella. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. The, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, what you have here is essentially. I mean, yeah, he comes back for Universal with meets uh, Frankenstein playing Dracula once again. But um, this is sort of like kind of the end for him as far as the majors go. Yeah, yeah. he does. He does a cameo and it's really is just like a cameo in uh, the body snatcher in 45 for RKO. But that's about it. You know, well, he plays Dracula again in. Yeah, yeah, which is what I just said. But um, it's no, no, no. That's all good, all good. But uh, so with those two exceptions, this is kind of it. You know, and everything else that he did is sort of just the poverty row monogram pictures. Then, then he's off. You know, working with Ed Wood. You know, a decade later, pull the strings, pull the strings. Um, but it's just, uh, yeah, so sad. And I think he could have been, I, I feel, I wish that the footage would show up in some vault in Argentina somewhere of the stuff that they cut out of this, because I'd be interested to see his performance with the dialogue, with the mentions of his blindness, 
because it just makes the whole movie make so much more sense. It makes his performance make so much more sense. And that's the thing. Like his performance is befuddling. If you haven't seen the previous movie or if you just don't remember it, like it came out Mm -hmm. a year before. So, you know, attention spans don't last that long or maybe you missed it, whatever. But I mean, the, the arms out thing that becomes synonymous with Frankenstein in a way that like, his performance as Dracula kind of set the standard for all other performances of Dracula in a weird yeah. way. And this performance of Frankenstein does the same thing, but no one understands it because they cut all that dialogue. And apparently it was just because he, between his accent and his exhaustion, like it came out either completely unintelligible or accidentally hilarious. The, the, it was, I don't know if it was a preview audience or an executive, like a studio uh, executive think, preview audience. My understanding is it was the executives. They laughed it off the screen. Yeah. And Cinemac and Wagner said we have to like cut. And they cut every, not only did they cut Lugosi's dialogue scenes, they cut like references around his dialogue scenes. Right. And that's why the references to the blindness or cut reactions. And there are moments like where Lugosi like opens his mouth Mm -hmm. and it looks like it's for no reason because there was like dialogue that's there. We have like, it Um, feels like, and because that it feels like we have four fifths of a movie. Like there, I feel like there are character motivations that are just lost. There are Mm -hmm. like, there's linking like things that link scenes to scenes that we just don't have because we're missing all that stuff. Like, and, and the the entire time, every time that like Talbot is talking to the creature, it, it feels like there's supposed to be a dialogue scene there and he's waiting yep. for the dialogue to finish, but it's not yep. coming because it just was cut out of the movie. Yeah. Like it just feels, it makes the whole thing feel really disjointed in a yeah. way that's kind of a bummer because I feel like this could have been this, this, this could have been so much bigger and should, I think have been so much better but so they just we we just couldn't get that. I'm I'm kind of of the mind. I know Karloff didn't like the monster speaking at all. I think the way they utilize speech in Bride works. Yes. Short, halting phrases where the monster is learning some intelligence, and you can understand what he's trying to communicate. I don't know if I want the monster in this form delivering soliloquies. Sure. Yeah, right. So I'm not sure if that way. I think that was part of it too, is like once you see the monster, mm-hmm. like look the way it's designed and then it's like talking about world domination. It's like, think about Herman Munster, like going about his day and you're like, okay, that is like Fred Gwynn is Herman Munster. Kind of like how it comes off, except it's unintentional. Sure, right. There was like, from what I read, like the three major dialogue scenes, one of them had some potential to be like existentially very scary, mm-hmm. at least to me, like, cause this is one of my larger, like can't fall asleep at night. This is keeping me awake. The monster describing when the monster is thought out and they're sitting by the fire and it's describing the experience of being trapped in the ice. Mm-hmm. He, Lugosi goes on be saying like he was unable to move but being awake the whole time and being aware the whole time, like aware of its circumstances and aware that it was trapped and being aware of the passing of time. That to me, like there's something like existentially terrifying about that. Yeah. Yeah. 
like that your body is your brain is working and you're and, and you're fully aware and your body is failed you um that is probably my deepest fear mm. so like i read that and i'm like i don't know how it would come off given lugosi's accent and the makeup and just the nature of the movie yeah but done right that could have been terrible. and i kind of wonder how lugosi was playing this was he playing this trying to emulate karloff or or was he playing igor in the monster makeup i don't know that's i think a good question um i think and, so too yeah because i mean if he's playing igor in the monster makeup i think there's potential for that to work uh, I agree, but we wouldn't know because the footage is long gone and it's never coming back. But um, it's just one of those fascinating, you know, what ifs, you know, what if right. we, we uh, saw that uh, happen? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm really I, curious how he played it. I like the idea of kind of, I, and at the end of ghost, I was excited for the prospect of, you know, this kind of almost Dr. Hulk kind of like evil genius inside of the mind of this like kind of hulking monster. But then like, does that time in the ice kind of like chill him out? Does it, no pun intended, but you know, (laughs) does it like, does it kind of mellow his mind to where like, he's this kind of criminally insane individual and all that time kind of like quiets his mind and stills him and, and like, centers him in a weird way or does he go completely unhinged yeah and we'll never know i don't think you get any of that no we'll never know so i think what you get is lugosi it comes across like lugosi playing the monster exactly like he did not want to play him and why he turned down the role in 1931 because he thought like any stuntman can play this it's like a babbling lunatic or a babbling goon right. that sure. like is mute, mute and just kind of shambling about like why would i want to do this i'm above this role like lugosi yeah. felt he should be playing the role of henry frankenstein like when we did that uh we discussed that that movie i i was of the mindset like that would come across more like peter cushing and the hammer movies where henry would now be far more sinister yeah. Whereas in the James Whale movies, like Henry comes across as a bit mad, but also far more sympathetic, like kind of unaware of like, oh, my Lord, what have I done? Yeah. Well, part of the genius. Yeah. Part of the genius of that movie is that there with maybe the exception of Fritz, there are no traditional villains in that movie. And uh, And even Fritz is Fritz is cruel to the monster. Yeah. But I don't know if he's a villain. That's a good. Yeah. He's like yeah. the big brother lashing out at little sure. brother because he feels like he's going to be the replaced. one, the one person that he has power over, <laughs> you know, yeah, in a whole right, wide right. world. Yeah. So there's, right. there's lots of those, they, you know, we talked about the class like, struggles and stuff of that movie. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you guys have like younger siblings. No, I, do. I don't. So would you have like, when you brought home your little bro, when they brought home, you're like your younger brother or sister. Like that jealousy you feel when they bring like home them home for the first time, and now they are the center of your parents' attention, mm-hmm. and you're no longer the center of your parents' world, and like you want to lash out to a certain degree, and like that's Fritz doing that in that moment. Yeah, here. that makes sense. Which is why I don't see him so much as a villain, mm-hmm. uh, even though what he's doing is very cruel to the monster. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, for sure. All right. uh, well, you had some thoughts as well, Stephen, about 
how they're asking Lugosi to play the monster compared to like the Karloff representation. Right. I just, I'm curious, like in terms of like comparison and I, I feel like we would, I don't, I don't think it's even fair to make a comparison between Lugosi's portrayal and the two that we've seen previously from, uh, from Karloff and Cheney because we don't really get all of Lugosi's performance here. Like true. We, we only get kind of a smattering or a snippet of it, but like, how do we can't, if we can compare them, like how does Lugosi compare to, to the two previous in, in iterations, incarnations of the, of the creature? Like, how would you guys mm-hmm. compare, um, compare those performances? Uh, honestly, uh, I mean, Karloff is far and away my favorite performance. I, I think, 100%. yeah, for, for me, it's sort of like when they, and my least favorite is actually Cheney. I think you, yeah, you, 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 it was sort of like, hey, he fits the suit. Uh, it, it's sort of the same kind of experience they had, you know, with the stuntman, bringing a stuntman for Nightmare 2, you know, right. and Robert England was, and it was just, it was just wrong. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, Robert England was freddy and you know that's kind of the way it is with karloff karloff was the monster no one ever played it as well as he did and it's true in this series i mean i think you know you could make arguments for uh christopher lee and various things like that that's different subject but um as far as this iteration of the creature karloff was the epitome of it and i think karloff you could even rank his performances <laughs> within that series. You know, I think, Oh yes. I think the monster and bride or, or Frankenstein and bride are about equal, but, but son's a little below that. And part of that it is because James whale wasn't there, you know, helping and to mold that performance too. Karloff didn't really think much of that movie either. No. So he was kind of phoning it in. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Lugosi, I think is kind of onto something. He's at least trying to continue what, happened in the previous movie right he at least is concerned about continuity even if the studio isn't right and i i think that he's trying to um you know tap into some of that empathy Mm -hmm. that um karloff did um you know think whatever the legend whatever the legends whether they're true or not about the rivalry between karloff we've talked about this already karloff and and lugosi i mean it's i i think Lugosi was at least respected him enough as an actor to say, Hey, he tapped into something with this character. I'm going to see if I can get a little something of that and bring it here. And, um, I think he does to some extent, I I think he's probably, you know, after Karloff the best, and then maybe Glenn strange and, and, uh, and Cheney because Cheney just didn't seem to understand it at all to me. You know, I feel like Cheney is mute. Yeah, I mean, right. like Cheney literally doesn't make a, a sound. He hardly moves his face during, during the whole. Yeah, th- yeah. It, I, so until the Lugosi dialogue at the end, right? right. Yeah, which is odd, bizarre. Yeah. I didn't know when they transplant your brain, they also <laughs> your transplant vocal cords and everything. Your vocal yeah. cords as yeah. well. Um, the yeah, that's that's one of the inter- bizarre. <laughs> sorts of well, ideas what's what's fascinating is is like glenn strange is going to play mm-hmm. the monster next and karloff is on set yeah because he's playing the, the mad scientist right. 
And like Karloff actually like tutored Glenn Strange a bit. Like Karloff was very gracious and was like, here's how I would play it. But Strange plays the monster like Lugosi does. Yeah. And like that is the portrayal that you're going to get. And it said like later on, like the, the, the in Stephen, you said this, like when you think of the monster in pop culture, you think of the stiff legged arms out right. shambling walk. Mm-hmm. Um, the monster kits that were out uh-huh. in the 70s and 80s seem to be based on Lugosi's yeah. uh, look mm-hmm. of the monster, not Karloff. So for some reason, Lugosi's, it doesn't, obviously doesn't overtake Karloff. No. Um, for a lot of reasons, but it's stuck. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because like this movie as a whole is a step above, but something about the performance like stuck. He he makes a little bit of a meal out of like the very bare ingredients that he was given to work with. Right. And I think there's something commendable about that. Because he was done not done any favors by the studio, given that they like hacked mm-hmm. his performance to pieces. Right. And we don't know. Like we don't even get deleted scenes where we can go back and see, yeah. oh, we can be judges for ourselves to say this is how it is with the dialogue. Right. Yeah. And which is a is a real big bummer because I that's something I would love to love to to see it and because again I feel like we only get half half of his performance in this movie. The only sounds we hear him make are the grunts and the growls and the scream. Yeah, it's Rah! yeah that, that kind of close up image of him just snarling during the fight scenes. Like that's yeah. that's kind of all we get from him, unfortunately. Um, and I, I just yeah. knowing Lugosi as an actor, knowing why he was so reticent to take the role in Thirty One and his reasonings for that, to see that this is what they do to his performance just feels like the ultimate insult to, to, to yeah. that man of such pride. Yeah. yeah. And I, I know I want to pick up that book you recommended. Yeah. I, 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 um, I just got to pull the trigger by that one. I just got <laughs> to, it. it's called uh, the traveler returns. I think it it's called, uh, it's, mm. it's about, it's the lost years of Bella Lugosi. So the years that he, oh. uh, between, when he made his last film and, and uh, um, before Ed Wood picked him up. So it's sort of the, the nether world <laughs> time yeah. where he was wandering in the desert, I guess you could say. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. So we put that on my list. We've talked. Yeah. So we've talked Frankenstein. We've talked the Wolfman. We've got to talk about bringing these two together. Yeah. And only one man can do that. <laughs> that is that. Giant bowl of tapioca, <laughs> Dr. Frank. <laughs> and Brian, you have some notes on how this works. Something about well, plurality. Well, it's, it's, and... the, the, the dialogue was essentially lifted from this and put into Young Frankenstein. Because there's a scene where, you know, uh, what's his name in, in the movie? Um and Frankenstein, but what's his, uh, what's Gene Wilder's character? I can't, anyway, oh, he's reading, he, he's reading the book and he's reading it aloud and Igor and, um, you know, Terry Gar's character, Inga are sitting there just like falling asleep and he goes, if you change the plus to minus and the minus to plus, it 
could work. Um, <laughs> Frederick. Frederick. Frederick of, Fran- duh. Frederick Frankenstein. Frederick Frankenstein. But it's just like, so that's essentially what he says, you know, it's something about changing the polarity on the, and it's just like, it's nonsense. It's completely right. ridiculous. And um, it, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I just found it really like laughable because now we look back at this all of these movies let's face it we look at all of these movies through the lens of mel brooks now i mean we do sorry you know at the end of bride of frankenstein of the hermit scene in bride of frankenstein we're thinking wait i was gonna make espresso you know i mean (laughs) i've I've never seen sun before and when i saw that movie and i saw the, the the inspector i was just like Oh my God, that's a real character. Like that yeah. wasn't just a, a thing Ken Mars made up. And it totally Ken, seems like a thing Ken Mars made up. I know. And the thing is, Ken Mars doesn't even change it that much. He really doesn't. <laughs> it's crazy. Anyway, it's so I mean, we've talked a lot about Young Frankenstein in this series. Yeah. Uh, it just keeps coming up because. I- I just might like cut it all together yeah. and like call it a bonus. There you go. <laughs> we could do we could do two bonus episodes one. for this series, right? Yeah. Gods and Monsters and Young Frankenstein. Yeah, do that. that'd we be fun. We'd probably get a I lot of takers is, on Young Frankenstein. Yeah. We absolutely. I'm sure we would. Maybe yeah. one or two other people for Gods and Monsters. We'll figure but, something out. Yeah, the whole the whole gauntlet for a Young Frankenstein. I'm sure. So again, don't know Doctor Frank's motivations except for like, just like. Wants to see chaos reign, yeah. essentially. I can't destroy Frankenstein's monster. It's like, you can't? Why can't you? Like, yeah. yeah. Like, for what reason? No logic. Like, because he had never heard of the monster before, like, until like an hour ago. Right. You know? It wasn't you like know, I got to give credit to Dr. Waldman here, because he was the one guy who was willing to actually destroy the monster. He's like, <laughs> yeah. this is a bad idea. It's like... He's and it's like, like I'm gonna one man, I'm just gonna dismantle him, everything will be fine. And you know the one man unswayed by the allure of that laboratory. Yeah. Right. He's yeah. like, this, this creature's not a good idea. <laughs> and you know, he just has the not good idea to like let me stay here alone with him. Right. And, right. Uh get choked to sure. death. Not smart, Edward Van <sighs> So he brings it to life. During a full moon, of course, of course. you get a full moon like one night a month, right? Right. So, like, pick any other day, mm-hmm. right? Like, you look at the calendar and you're like, "What day should I do it?" Not the day of the full moon, yeah. To or and not at night. Like, why does it have to be? Particularly because he knows there's a night. werewolf around. Like, he's right. literally been following him all over the countryside. Yeah. Like, he knows there's one around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing I do, what I love about the Wolfman and Universal, they let the Wolfman be a monster. Like the yeah. Wolfman kills people, mm-hmm. chomps on people. It's bloody. And you know, what I also love about the Wolfman, he changes his clothes before he goes a killing. Mm-hmm. Like he'll be in a white <laughs> shirt, pants, and he's like, I'm going to change. I'm going to run off. I'm also going to change into my little kind of like plaids. chambray, my little plaids, yeah. you know, my, my lumberjack nice uniform. cranberry colored shirt, yeah. you know, so because the blood won't stain on that shirt, you know. <laughs> and, but then and then, but then he's so considerate that. that he changes back when he when he transforms he back to his human form, which is just considerate, you know? really considerate. None of this David waking up naked in the zoo, right. stealing balloons from children, no. and stealing old ladies' coats. That's just indecent. A lot, lot of weather we've been having. None of that bullshit. Lon <laughs> Chaney, keeping it real. Right. Keeping it fashionable. Well, that's like, you know, the Hulk in his pants thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's... Uh, 
the, always got to be the eternal debate. Pants. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So both of the monsters wake up cranky because they've been zapped with like ten thousand volts of electricity. Mm-hmm. So that is going to make you cranky. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Well, and that scene thinking? again, young Frankenstein, because they're on those tilting tables. They're next to each other. They've got yep. the stuff attached to their heads. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all it's yeah, lifted yeah. directly from there. Yeah. Aside from being short, what do we think of this fight? Um, it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it, all right. it was. I was really disappointed the first well, time right. I saw it. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry to say, it. but however, it kind of set a precedent. I mean, this one's really short. This one's like two minutes. But mm-hmm. but it starts at one ten. The film ends at one thirteen. Right? right, right. And you know, and and the thing is, you know, when the things that sort of copied this in the future, King Kong versus Godzilla. That's a lot of King Kong doing his thing, a lot of Godzilla doing his thing, and then the fight isn't very long. Same with right. Freddy versus Jason. You know, lots of Freddy, lots of Jason, and then when they get together, it's like, okay. Um, so this was just a thing that just sort of continued through. I mean, all of those go longer than this, but they just sort of uh-huh. wrestle, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't know. There's like, I mean, you know, we get like some jumping, like the Wolfman's like jumping on him from high places and they're yeah. kind of knocking each other into stuff and rolling around. But it, it's not like, uh, it's not like super well choreographed in the sense that like, you know, we're, we're doing fight choreography and the, 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 the filmmaking is built around it. We're just doing a, we're setting up a wide shot and, and the direct Neil's just kind of like, I don't know, go nuts guys. Like, kind of like, kind of like you said, Mike, like he just kind of would film what they what they came up with and it kind of a street fight it, yeah and it feels very much like that yeah um Which I, like. I wish there were more of it because yeah you know and but then it it kind of ends like abruptly like deus ex machina water from the right. machine like he the the guy who's been you know shit talking frankenstein the whole movie just decides he's gonna commit an act of domestic terrorism and blows up the dam and <laughs> Like well, floods the castle or whatever. <laughs> to be fair, to be absolutely fair, I knew because he lost his daughter. Like in that's true. The attack on the village, and you have that scene where he's carrying her in one, and it's meant to kind of like recall the scene of Hans carrying Maria sure. yeah. through yeah. the village. It just doesn't have any of that same gravitas that whale does it doesn't have that same do, sort of like it's not nearly as stunning. do we even see her it's just die. kind of flat no and i mean that, not to my knowledge we that's don't. part of it though like it would just this character that we've kind of seen in a couple of long shots and then all of a sudden she's dead draped over her father's but, arms and it just okay who cares but you understand why and sure. he was the one that he he tossed out maleva from the in, in Talbot from the he's been team anti Frankenstein from the get go. Right. So he's consistent. Yeah. He also looks like uh Andy Reed, coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. A little walrus uh, walrus mustache and everything. I you know I love a good walrus mustache. So, yeah, he's he's uh, he's and he's up there and he's like planting his dynamite and he's like, fuck it. I'm I'm blowing these like I'm he's he's kind of like Milton in office space. He's like I'm gonna blow the place <laughs> up, and everyone's like, "Sure, dude." And he, you know, he's a man of his yeah. word. Um, uh, kind of disappointing. Like nobody knows what happens to Maleva. Right. Like she's there, and like I think someone actually asked Cinemac, like, 
what happened to Maleva? He's like, I don't know. Like she washed away in the water. Like, why are you bothering me right. with this detail? You know, it's like, it's not real. Um, but again, it's a character that you've gotten to know for two. She's one of yeah. the most sympathetic characters in is. the movie. Well, it is kind of surprising because like you mentioned earlier, you know, giving a reason for the body not being discovered in the tomb at the beginning. And so this other detail, he's like, ah, oh, whatever. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I like the fight for what it is. Yeah. I know it's short. I just, I don't like, I don't know if you're going to have like a 15 minute long well, no. Fight with these. And How I don't, much can I don't you know do? that I want that either, but you know, just something I, I don't know, it just feels very narratively unsatisfying. It's like we're gonna we're gonna punch each other for a little bit, it's gonna flood and we're done. Like I mean, that flood starts and we are out of there. Like we're not wasting any yeah. fucking time. Like you you well, look, you saw him get yep. along, you saw him fight, it floods, we're done. Well, I part that's one of the problems. Yeah, things. that's true. One of the narrative questions was who's gonna win? Because if you have Frankenstein win, you're gonna disappoint Wolfman fans. If Wolfman wins, you're gonna do- disappoint Frankenstein fans. So what's your answer? Kill them both. Nobody. Well, and yeah. that's the it's the Godzilla versus Fred, yeah. or King Kong. It's the Freddy Technically versus King Kong wins. Technically speaking, King Kong wins. No, in both cuts. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've seen both cuts, and he wins. King 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 Kong wins, and uh, the reason why is because Godzilla was not yet a hero Mm, at that point. He was still the villain at that point. Yeah, King Kong, and that is. Awful! It is the worst design of King Kong ever. It's like a lunch set. Uh, Yeah. Uh, some like yeah. hair tape to yeah. it. Yeah, I, I I had heard forever that oh Godzilla wins in the Japanese cut, and I finally saw it. And I was like, uh, no, that's not what happens. It was it was uh, fascinating. So anyway, but I, I mean, okay. So most of these then that there, yeah. it's very difficult to put one on top of the other. Alien versus Predator, another Same. example there. Yeah, yeah, that's right because you well, can't have. You can't have, you know, whoever wins, we lose. We lose. Yeah. yeah. This is, you know, like when Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, there's a little bit of fighting that goes on. But like Frankenstein, he's in this movie, he's really in the background. Yeah. And in the next three movies, like he really is a base comic relief. Mm-hmm. And as all of them are in the next, I mean, like the Wolfman gets a noogie in the, <laughs> you know <laughs> we'll talk about uh, all right so i think we 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 we've done it you've got pancakes to eat i am not going to keep a man from eating pancakes right. um i want something i kind of do too now <laughs> yeah a little bit i ordered now. well i ordered an omelet so yeah of course you what? did yeah lots Look of you being all of, of, like all no all sorts omelet. of meat you know, like oh, okay. chocolate chip, v- omelet. like extra the extra meat omelet, all the breakfast okay. meats omelet. Oh, so it'll be good. Excellent. It'll be good. So Mike said something about how the sausage was made earlier. You didn't want to hear that because you're getting ready to have a bunch. Of That's sausage. right. So, you know sausage. it. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of how the sausage gets made, why don't we tell everybody? What sausage we're making with all of our other projects? <laughs> oh, wow! Did you throw your shoulder out with all that reaching you just did? <laughs> that really was amazing. Did. That was. Incredible. I just did by yeah. patting myself on the back. 
<laughs> that was pretty damn good, Stephen. I agree. That was pretty damn good. Yeah. So, Stephen, what's going on with Disenfranchised? Uh, we just just wrapped up, uh, I think, a couple weeks ago, as of the listening of this episode, uh, our uh, Kinganing, the drawing of three miniseries where we took on three Stephen King uh, failed franchise starters. We're heading into February, which has no rhyme or reason. Yeah. Uh, I think we covered uh, The Spy Who Dumped Me uh, most recently. And I think our next episode as of this release is going to be your episode, Mike, where you're coming on to talk about the 2017 Turkish super or Indonesian superhero film uh, Valentine. So excellent. Because you are our annual Valentine guest. That's just when do we record that? One? Uh, soon. Okay. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll definite talk. answers there. We'll yeah. Talk. That's good. Love it. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Brian, where can, and Stephen, where can they find you on the socials? Uh, I am at Chewy Walrus. Uh, I don't know. Find me. Uh, and um, and then the, the podcast is at DisenfranchPod on those same Excellent. socials. So, yeah. yeah. And you'll be back here for Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. Yeah. Oh, also, Brian was talking Tubi earlier. Uh, talking shit about Tubi earlier. No, I love um, Tubi. The movie that I was in, uh, Circle City Supernatural, is now on Tubi. So you can Excellent. Watch it Excellent. Circle City Supernatural. Circle City Supernatural. It's a if you like micro budget horror, um, it's it's a it's an anthology horror movie, um, micro budget amateur actors. It's a lot of fun if you if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, very little blood and gore. You can watch it with the kids. Uh, it's it's fun. Check it out. Brian, what's going on with? We'll talk to you, Brian. What's going on with? Well, uh, should I cut that? Do you want me to cut that? Uh, probably. Okay, I will cut Thank that. You. I don't mean to. I'm sorry that I. I no, you're fine. I honestly, I, 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 you can, you can keep the initial question. Just like okay. all the. Like when, when you start yeah, like hassling me about figures, that might be where you cut. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> Brian, what is the. I'll cut all of it because I don't think I would ask any of the ladies Fair. that question. Fair. So I mean, we'll I, I really I don't care, but yeah, I, yeah, I know, but I it's still it's <laughs> still harassment. I should not do that. All right, to that's, you. I apologize. That's, that's fine, Brian. Same question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, this is Brian. This is too much fun. What is going on oh with God, movies for life? Okay, uh, with movies for life, we uh, well, a um, couple of things that I'm sure are available out there. All of our discoveries are available on uh, the feed now. Uh, so our favorite discoveries and our top movies of 2023 are out there. Um, our episode. Our snowbound episode with uh, the gray, a great underrated action animal attack movie um, and Fargo uh, should be available as well. And next up, we're looking forward. We're coming out a little bit before the um, actual movie comes out, uh, the imaginary movie. And we're doing our own imaginary friends episode with Harvey and drop dead Fred. Um, oh, so yes. Th- so that'll be a lot of fun. And um, as far as me and my writing, uh, I just had, my latest gods and monsters piece go up, which is on Gojira from 1954. And I'm particularly happy with how that one turned out. Uh, I, I feel, feel really good about that one. And also the second half of my hammer Frankenstein series should be hitting Manor Vellum sometime during February. And uh, as far as where you can find me, you can find me across the socials and on Letterboxd at Brian Waves 42. 
and my, the show that I co-host with Michelle Egan at Movie Life Pod. Excellent. Thank you, Brian. You well, folks, you know where you can find us. Make sure you visit our site, podandthependulum.com, where all of our previous episodes, all 218 now, are up, where you can find them and search them very easily. You can also uh, leave us like comments on there as well, uh, You, which is a really nice way. You've got some really nice notes from listeners there. I've gone through them. Didn't realize people were leaving comments up there. We got some really nice notes from some listeners and it was nice to go back and respond to them also got like some like spam mail for like some weird like body creams from russia oh, nice. which i did not respond to oh. are we gonna uh, but that's is okay. that are they gonna sponsor the show you know no <laughs> um but that's okay make sure that you rate review and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast it goes a super long way to helping new listeners find us and it's a free way to support us. If you can become a patron, please do at patreon.com slash part of the pendulum. Steven and I just recorded our Oscar thoughts in terms of the nominations. We had a lot of fun. We do recording. That I one. wish we I could have jumped in with you guys. I had, I had, I had, I had a, I had a thought. <laughs> That's I, okay. Well, maybe we'll do something for the Oscars. We'll sure. talk about it. So yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, for the month of February, we'll be uh, getting into the back half of the Frankenstein episodes. We have a few left. And then we'll be doing our next series, which will be Paranormal Activity. Uh, Ari is going to be assisting with that one as well. So we're really excited. Excellent. I am super excited because I love a handful of those movies dearly. Valentine's Day is coming up. I'm going to talk to the crew about maybe doing a bonus show. like Maybe some of the folks that haven't been able to jump on Frankenstein maybe doing an episode where we talk about the worst breakup and breakups in horror movie history some heartache maybe we could do something fun like that as a bonus we'll see but for now we are out of here thank you so much brian steven it is always a pleasure it is because we have Absolutely. some laughs but you guys just know so much about movies i always get an education talking to you both and I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful night. Have a wonderful day, listeners. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with the House of Frankenstein. It's a fun one. It really is a goddamn pleasure. Take care. right now steven i mean <laughs> fair i'd still have to probably take the red line because i don't want to have to mess with parking down there so you're experiencing chicago winters now huh i am I, I did last year too because i moved oh, here in january oh so that's right know. that's right it's you so are you saying that you're too good to ride public transportation? <laughs> no it's just it it can be a hassle all this needs to stay in the show this is how we start the show just <laughs> let's like just this. tack this on to the end yeah, yeah. stays in the yeah. show Make this the stinger. This definitely stays in the show. <laughs> you should definitely take a ball game in at Wrigley Field. I might one day. You know, you should definitely. And just do the Ferris Bueller. Hey! Anyway. All right, listeners. You'll get that at the end, probably.